0: ready, I doubt it.
1: You're listening to the scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Damashevitz.
0: It's always so nice to start a show with great confidence from your producer when you say, we're ready, and he says, doubt it. That's that's a great way to instill confidence in, in your co-hosts. Andrew.
1: I believe in you.
0: Well, that's why you're the best podcast producer in the business. Producer, producer. sorry. Well, uh, welcome to The Scrimmage. I'm Justin Domasiewicz. We've got a special guest co-host, Braden Dorman, here with us today, and our producer... Our very encouraging producer, Andrew Gross, who knows that we are ready to go. <laughs> uh, we got lots of great topics. We're going to talk a little baseball. We're going to talk a little basketball and maybe a little uh, controversy with Russell Wilson on his Dan Patrick interview. Um, Andrew's going to hit on that. But for starters, right now, let's just uh, get it going with the two minute drill. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Hello. Gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. Hey, two minute situation. 44 seconds, hand the ball around.
2: Gun do it right, gun do it right.
1: The two minute drill starts now.
0: Jared Kellenick rejoined the Seattle Mariners on Friday after a month long stint in AAA. The rookie recorded a hit in each of his first two games back with the Major League Club. Braden, what is a reasonable expectation for Kellenick the rest of the season?
2: Jared Kellenick, the guy that he was supposed to turn everything around and then he comes in and hits 096. I think he can't do much worse at all, so he can only go up from here. Getting a hit a game, that's a great start. I know there's going to be some bumps in the road. We saw there were plenty of bumps in the road in his first stint. But I think, you know, just getting a couple hits, starting to hit some, uh, finding some holes because he was hitting the ball hard initially now he just needs to find some holes, get some confidence back. And I think he'll be able to really restart next season and get into his groove. And. I got his jersey. I don't know if you know this, but I got a, I got a Jared Kellenick jersey after his third game, because that second game he, you know, went three for five, a bomb, and all this stuff. I'm quick like, quick on the trigger. Got his jersey, and then he got sent down like two weeks later. So, for my sake, he needs to pick he it up. To,
0: yeah. <laughs> Russell Wilson did an interview on the Dan Patrick Show on Thursday, and despite saying that his relationship with Pete Carroll is the best it's ever been, Russ did not sign off with his typical go Hawks. Andrew, is it time to panic about Russ's commitment to Seattle?
1: No, it's not time to panic. It's Dan Patrick's fault he cut off the mic too quick. (laughs) I like that answer. This year, MLB players wore matching uniforms during the All-Star Game. Justin, do you like that look or would you prefer each player to wear their respective team's jersey?
0: Look, they need to wear their respective team's jersey because when I'm watching the game, I don't know who the crap any of these guys are. Like, I, agree. I pay attention to very, very local baseball and I don't even know what half the Mariners players look like. <laughs> I really, I need it. This is, again,. This, is, this stems from some kind of a deal that MLB has with Nike, and Nike got to choose to have all-star games so they could sell more jerseys. So that's actually what's going on here. But this is just another thing that baseball got wrong. The Los Angeles Angels selected a pitcher with each of their 20 picks in the recent MLB draft. Braden, does that draft strategy signal desperation from a team which has generational talent on its roster and little to show for it?
2: Yes, it absolutely does, and with good reason. They are hit, Their batting average is the third best in baseball. Their slugging percentage wow. is the second best in baseball. Home runs, sixth best in baseball. You have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, two of the best hitters in baseball, yep. and you're still not making the playoffs, not even close on the regular basis. At the beginning of the year, every year, they're like, oh, the Angels. They should be really good. I think they might slide into the playoffs. But us, we know that at the end of the day, they're always going to end up somehow lower than the Mariners with a way better roster. And it just happens year in and year out. So why not try something different? And if you pick 20 pitchers, you got to think maybe one or two of them will actually pan out. Yeah.
0: I think if one or two of those pitchers panned out in the major leagues, that'd be a win. Yeah, absolutely.
1: (laughs) It really does. Like, guys, we really we need a
0: pitcher or two, don't we? Yes. I didn't know all those stats about the Angels and how... Absolutely raking. And that's without... They've been without Trout for a while, too. Crazy. Well, so. uh, they were
2: just smacking the ball around on the Mariners last night, and Otani was like 0 for 4, but everybody else was just hitting the ball, and they're guys that you've probably never heard of.
0: Probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and besides that, let's see, we've got we got Jared Kellenick and we're not going to spend too much time talking about... Kellenick on this show we've really we've discussed him a lot over the last <laughs> couple months but I think the key thing is going to be that fans and people who are paying attention to the Mariners really try to like calibrate their expectations like you he came up the first time they knew he wasn't ready but because of all these other circumstances it was almost like they kind of got pressured into bringing him up when they probably shouldn't have and then he goes on an over streak at the plate that's, like, bordering on historic. Yeah. So I, I feel that people just need to understand that this guy is a rookie. He has very few at-bats. You know, we went through on a previous show, um, Daniel and Andrew had um, kind of came up with this, how many at-bats do, do the Mariners have? We talked about Kelinek and and how that relates to other teams. And the Mariners as a whole just don't have at bats like these guys are really inexperienced Mm -hmm. and Kelenic is the most inexperienced of all of them so I think people need to understand that you know he hey he got his batting average up to like 109 or something with those two hits every hit is
2: gonna bring (laughs) that thing way up Honestly,
0: (laughs) so if he could end the season like around the Mendoza line like could we get him up to 200 by the end of the year I think that'd be a win
2: oh absolutely I mean as I said, literally one hit is going to bring that batting average up like yeah. probably 10 points yeah. a hit yeah. until he gets more at bats. But I, I think 200 is reasonable and something he should be shooting for.
0: As far as the All Star game goes, do you have an opinion on the jerseys? Should they be, do, do you like them having the specific All Star uniforms or would you like the major leagues to go back to having them all wear their team's jersey?
2: I like the team jersey better, and especially after the ones they were wearing, I just thought they were ugly. It this looked year. like a
0: it looked like a rec league softball. Yeah, it uniform. did. That's
2: a that's a good description. I don't know. I like I like how you can have all these different jerseys, mm-hmm. and then at the same time, you know, maybe the one side has the white ones, white versions, and the other ones are yeah the colorful. I don't know. The hats are all that were really signifying their team, and um, as you said. Just a general person watching wouldn't really know who these guys are.
1: Right. You and know, I I don't really understand why they should even need, like, there's no, are, are you really needing to be able to identify which team the other player is on? at Like, how often does that come up? It's not like it's football where you're trying to tell the difference between defenders and offenders.
0: Well, they could even sure. do it. Like, you can <laughs> you can do it where one team just wears the home whites. And the other team just wears whatever. Right. Their well, that's what I was saying. Is. But yeah. I
1: was saying, like, I don't even know why you want it. I think it'd be cool if every single player wore their home home team jersey. Is
0: like,
2: it, I mean, in baseball, that's not too big of like an issue because yeah. it's not like you have a quarterback wondering what, who to throw Ex- to.
1: Exactly. That's what I was, Unless maybe it may, maybe it would make a difference on some like throws be. from the outfield or something.
0: It, I threw to the runner. Just, do you think it might just like affect the viewing? product to have yeah
1: for the better because huh. it'd just be guys with all sorts of different jerseys well apparently yeah. and then you'd be like hey wait a minute they're all wearing Rays
0: jerseys <laughs> yeah
1: how come there's no mariners
0: on this team so apparently what well, happened last year was was, every year, but- <laughs> a handful of years ago and i don't know how far back this goes um so nike had always had a uniform deal with the major leagues and Then Under Armour, when Under Armour was trying to make their big push and they signed Steph Curry and they're trying to be like, hey, we're going to be as good as Nike, they signed a deal and, and snuck in there under Nike for less money and signed a deal with Major League Baseball to take over everything, like all the uniforms and everything. And then quickly realized that as they were trying to produce all of that, they did not have the infrastructure to do it. And so Under Armour ended up just backing out of that deal. So Major League Baseball had to go back to Nike and say, please save us. We have a uniform crisis. We have a a merchandise crisis, and we need you to save us. So they had to make all these different concessions to Nike. And one of those was, hey, there's a few designated times where you guys get to make the decision about what kind of uniform our guys wear. So if you're (laughs) Nike, you're going, well... If we have an all-star jersey, that's another jersey we can sell. If your guy makes the all-star team, then people will want not only his regular jersey, but also his all-star jersey. Oh, yeah. So it's all economically driven, and it's probably not what baseball wanted, but it's definitely what Nike wanted. So
1: so there's no reason that you can't have a unique all-star jersey that is the home team colors, though, for
2: uh, the players' personal home team colors. I feel like... You can still have their home like, team jersey, but you could also be, like slightly change it to have this little all star thing, or like maybe or a even little a red, big white, all-star and blue thing. Or
1: like yeah. you could put big all star across the front of it, or something. There could be some kind of all star yeah.
2: font on there, or something. Yeah, but still having like a Chicago Cubs blue. You know, I feel like that's just something that they should have. But again, as you said, MLB usually doesn't do what should happen you know they usually <laughs> do it wrong they do it wrong yeah
0: yeah um but speaking of the all-star break Braden, you're you're a baseball fan how much of it did you watch what was your favorite part
2: um i watched pretty much everything like the futures game was exciting for me because i love watching julio rodriguez and i was just a little intrigued to see what kalanick looked like mm-hmm. they only gave him his one at bat and the ground at second base which wasn't anything new um for us to see but that was cool to see Um, I think Julio Rodriguez Rodriguez looks just massive. Like, he's a humongous 21-year-old, and Mm -hmm. I think he's... He honestly might end up being, like, the Kellinick. You know, the guy that actually is going to be really good. Maybe a Tatis-like. Just I think he has that kind of upside. But again, that's just the Mariners and me just getting my hopes up. Probably won't happen.
0: (laughs) Well, and depending on which prospect ranking you looked at, Julio Rodriguez was higher than Kellinick on some of those. He's Mm -hmm. just a little further behind in the progression right but i think the did you watch like home run derby yeah, watched and, the home
2: run derby yeah. i knew otani wouldn't win just because if there's a person that we're all like thinking is going to win he never does that's win. true and then of course he loses in the first round yeah. but the balls were absolutely flying out of the ballpark like in coors field um, with the elevation and everything so that was cool pete alonzo is just here just to win home run derbies he <laughs> really doesn't do much more than that yeah then the All Star Game, I actually didn't really watch too much of it, just because I was I was a little mad that there weren't any, there wasn't much Mariners representation. I yeah, thought JP Crawford, Mitch yeah. Haniger had two pretty good arguments.
0: Yeah, we we talked about that last week actually because I I think JP Crawford is the big one that people were like, whoa, how'd you guys miss that? Mm-hmm. But I was looking at Haniger's numbers. I mean, the guy had like twenty two home runs yeah. and fifty RBIs like that. He's he's been the best player on the Mariners pretty much all year. Yes. It was interesting that he didn't make it or even get that consideration, but we should be kind of used to that. I feel like yeah, there's always one or two guys from the Mariners that should make it. I'll tell you what, I didn't watch any of the like actual festivities, but I watched a lot of like highlights of things. Yeah, and the one highlight that I enjoyed the most was during the celebrity softball game when DK Metcalf, and it's a really funny, it's a funny visual because DK Metcalf is like. He it just is like the encapsulation of what an athlete should look like. Yeah. Like he's massive, he's ripped, he's strong. He's just got like he's got athlete face. Like mm-hmm. everything about DK Metcalf, <laughs> he looks like an athlete. Yep. He gets up there, he strikes out swinging in softball, which is really embarrassing. Yeah. But then to make matters worse, the very next batter is Jojo Siwa, mm-hmm. and she rips a double into the left center gap yeah. over the center fielder. It was, like, if you're DK, it's like, all right, come on. Like, I already just embarrassed myself. You're going to go do that to me?
2: Hey, I think it just shows you that I know slow-pitch softball is a lot different than baseball, but I really think baseball is at the very top of the hardest sports, like, to pick up. If you can have a guy like DK Metcalf that seems like he should be able to do anything and he still can't hit a ball that's floating in the air, it shows you that, you know, like, the debate between a 100-mile-per-hour fastball or you know, being able to catch a pass, it's just so different. And I don't know, I think baseball is very underrated in um, the assumption that it's a lot easier than it looks, because it's really not.
0: Yeah, I think the amount of skill involved in hitting a baseball, like, with the kind of movement that's on it, and how quickly you have to react to it, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, I would think as far as like skill goes, not not about like athleticism or strength or any of that, but as far as just just plain skill goes hitting a baseball has to be like one of the hardest if not the hardest thing in sports
2: it's so tough and there's I, so much time put into it and i you would still nominate fail. it for absolutely the hardest yeah. thing to
1: do it's it's crazy. it's crazy to. Th- it's so difficult that the best people in the world at it are considered amazing if they successfully do it less than a third of the time yeah you, you know mean less, I, like, yeah, I mean less like a quarter
0: of the time these days
1: like that yeah exactly it's in, it's ab
2: it's incredibly difficult it's and, a sport of failure i mean yeah. it really is and there was like a a poll on house of highlights that the fans voted that shooting a half-court shot is tougher than hitting a 100 mile per hour fastball and there those are two very tough things for just an average person but there's no way anybody's walking just some Random guys are just going to walk up and touch a 100 mile per hour fastball. They're not going to be able to see that. 100 mile I,
1: mile yeah, fastball. I don't think I could bunt a 100 mile per hour no. fastball with 100 tries, and I guarantee you I could sink a basketball with. 100 tries I, from I half court. I can
0: guarantee you if I took 100 tries from half court, I'm probably making five plus. Like, yeah. th- Those are going to go in. Mm-hmm. I'm not even confident I could stand in the batter's box <laughs> without, bailing. without bailing out <laughs> yeah. on a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. I think I, like, that would be like a fight-or-flight reflex. Like, oh my gosh, that ball's coming, and my body might just j- just dive out of the way. Yeah. Just knowing. I mean, that's... Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, the MLB players were told about this poll and they took some serious offense to it. They're like... <laughs> Oh, you guys just have no idea. <laughs> yeah, Gosh. no.
0: I mean, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Well, I do. That was a really fun two minute drill. Good, good discussion. But we're gonna move into what is usually my favorite part of the show when Daniel's here. But today, serving questions up on a silver platter where the points are made up and the rules don't matter. Time for stump, Daniel. But we're gonna stump Braden today. Oh boy. <laughs> so typically. <laughs> And last week I did a stump Andrew. Actually, I've done a couple of stump Andrews, but it's just too easy. So we're gonna move on to something that I think would be for me. It's too easy for me. I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna finish that thought, but I thought people would just know that I meant it was too easy for you. Um, but I also, yeah. I realized the two questions I had were both basketball related. So not only would Andrew not know the answers, he wouldn't care about not knowing the answers. Yeah. So we're gonna start with, uh, we're gonna start with this one. They're both finals related. So Saturday was Giannis Antetokounmpo's 13th straight game shooting 50% or better in the postseason, which tied for the longest such streak in the shot clock era. So 13, I fumbled through that terribly, but 13 straight games shooting 50% or better from the field in the postseason—it's tied for the longest streak in the shot clock era. Braden, who is the other player in NBA history who has 13 straight games? Shooting 50% or better in the postseason.
2: All right. So I'm the kind of guy that I'm a sports nerd. I know a lot about all the stuff that's happened in my lifetime. But uh-huh. if you go behind, like past that, not the best, but I can this I can give a couple your, guesses.
0: This is in your lifetime.
2: Is it? Okay.
0: It's close. So I'm gonna
2: assume it. I'm gonna assume it's a center position, just because these guys are dunking the ball a lot more. They're laying the ball in a lot more. So I think I'm gonna go um, with the center position. Ooh, some good ones. Yeah, let's go with uh, Tim Duncan.
0: It is not Tim Duncan. That was a really good guess for the time frame and for this particular stat. But I think it would have been probably a guy that you would have arrived at pretty quickly. But Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, Shaq. Did it in 2006. Actually, Shaq also has he has two separate streaks. One was 13 games, and one was 12 games at different points in his career. Um, so yeah, I mean, you were on the right track with it being a big guy. I would have thought like, I mean, this is my bias, but I would have just gone straight to LeBron James, but, uh, nah, you know, LeBron isn't built like that. <laughs> That's probably true. That's probably, but he did. So during the Miami heat years, he was like incredibly efficient from yeah, the field. True, but I, I don't think he was in the postseason season was doing it like that. But anyway, we're going to move on to the second question. Devin Booker is the first player in finals history to lose back-to-back games despite scoring 40 plus points in both games. He's only the fifth player to do it in any playoff series. Who are the other four? This was going to be tougher for you cuz only one of these is in your lifetime. Oh boy. But who are the other four players who yeah. scored 40 plus points in back-to-back games and lost in in the playoffs?
2: I'm going to go LeBron right off the bat. I think that probably happened against the Warriors.
0: LeBron did it. It was against the Magic in 2009, but that is correct. It was LeBron, yep.
2: And now the other guys are beyond my lifetime. So now I need to really start thinking about this. But they're all like... Big names.
0: They're all big stars. They're all big names.
1: I've heard of two of these three players.
0: (laughs) That's really saying something. Okay. he's heard of them. Good
1: point. Uh, Did I give it away there? I don't know. No,
0: no, no, you're good. You're good.
2: (laughs) I mean, I feel like the Bulls didn't lose too many games in the playoffs, but I'm going to go with
0: Michael Jordan. It is. One of them is Michael Jordan. And if you, this is, again, before your time, but Michael Jordan in the 80s did lose a little bit. Did lose a lot. Before they went on their runs. Exactly. And and also he had to like, part of Phil Jackson coming in was having him buy into the team play because Michael Jordan had one year where he averaged like 37 points a game. Right. And then they lost in the okay. playoffs. I did so, learn
2: a little bit about that in the last dance. So yeah. not, you're kind of bringing that back to me. Okay,
0: well. well, you've got you're two for two so far. You've yeah. two more guys.
2: Um, I'm going to go back a little bit further. I'm going to go Kareem Abdul-Jabbar.
0: That is a good guess, but not one of the four. Okay. Not one of the four. I'll give you one more guess. See if you can get one of these guys. I'm just going to go Larry Bird. It is not Larry Bird, but again, good Hope guess. So. <laughs> it is not Larry Bird, but again, good guess. In 1990, Magic Johnson did it okay. for the Lakers against the Suns. And this is going back a little ways to like you know probably uh, around the time that my father was born. But in 1965, Jerry West for the Lakers Ooh. scored... 40 plus points in back to back games and lost to the Baltimore Bullets, which are no longer a team. No, they're not. Yeah, well, they're the Washington Wizards now. But, uh, yeah. At so, least they d- stuck with the uh, alliteration. As a bit of trivia as well, Jerry West is also the only player to ever win the finals MVP while being on the losing team. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what you Back year that when happened.
1: MVP probably actually meant most valuable player.
0: It's I don't think it's ever really meant that.
1: It would have to mean that if you gave it to a, the losing
0: team's best player. But how would the player be most valuable if his team lost?
1: The other, the team that won would have more valuable players, but they wouldn't have one
2: player that was as valuable to the team. I'm kind of with him on that one. Okay. Yeah. Because I think there are probably instances where a guy should win MVP, even though they lose. Maybe in like a seven-game series, an absolute battle, and then...
1: I mean Shohei Otani is a good has a good argument for MVP and yeah. their team is terrible.
0: I mean if you really want to go there, LeBron, I, I, LeBron I was don't. in the finals like <laughs> ten years in a row and he should have won MVP every time they lost. And every time they won. So LeBron. <sighs> yeah, I don't know maybe basketball we have brought well, that well up. enough to argue. <laughs> Well, we got some real stories to talk about. We're going to talk about the Damian Lillard trade rumors. We're going to talk about Richard Sherman's arrest. And we'll wrap up with a little bit more basketball talk. But first, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Do you have a legal situation and need someone on your side? Let the law office of Jeffrey A. Damashevitz be your advocate. If you've been the victim of medical malpractice, suffered a personal injury, or need representation with real estate law, small business law, or estate planning, let Jeff Domashevitz put his 29 years of experience to work for you. Call Jeff Damashevitz today at 360-612-3991 or visit damashevitzlaw.com That's dot wcom so, speaking of LeBron oh goodness so this is only, Let's not this is a LeBron adjacent story so were we were, <laughs> we, were uh, we were at a church this morning and my son was in Sunday school and he's doing a little Bible study with the teacher and naturally when you're doing Bible study um, LeBron comes up and there's a big argument about who's the greatest of all time so the <laughs> response from his um, Bible teacher, on Sunday was to, as he was reading the verses, he was inserting LeBron stinks in between words. And it was like, well, I mean, if it's in the Bible, then I guess, I guess it's true. So I don't even know, Andrew, you have thoughts on that?
1: It sounds rock solid to me.
0: Okay. So I I think uh, we're going to move into some Damian Lillard talk. And I, Braden, I don't know how much you uh, paid attention to what happened the other day, but pretty much some goober, who thought he was breaking some massive news reported as an official report sources close to Damian Lillard say he's going to request a trade from the Portland Trailblazers in the coming days mm-hmm. and the whole thing was really funny so naturally for me I, lo- I, lo- I love the Blazers and I love Dame so I went into like panic mode I was like oh my gosh this can't be true this, what's going on and uh, Yusuf Nurkic's response was really funny he called the guy a clown he said, really? Because Damian Lillard's my brother. Do you have a better source than me? Because I haven't heard this. And it ended up not being true. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and Dame, he said he woke up to the news. They had Olympic, Olympic Can you practice. you imagine that? Yeah. He woke up to, <laughs> to news being reported that he's going to request a trade in the coming days. And he was like, what? Really? I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he had Olympic basketball practice. <laughs> And then afterwards, he had a press conference where he said, hey, I just got to tell you, it's not true. Like, he flatly said, that rumor's not true. He also said, I expect to play with the Blazers this season. And he also said, I haven't made any concrete decisions about what's going to happen in my future. So I think what we're seeing now is that uh, Damian Lillard, who, like, I really appreciate his approach and the way that he discusses things. But he's finally getting to a point where he's realized that as he has held himself accountable his whole career, not everybody holds themselves accountable the way that he does. So there was a... I'll read some of these quotes, and then we can just kind of discuss what he said. But there was an article from Chris Haynes on Yahoo, and he had a really good Q&A session with, um, with Dame. And when Haynes asked him about his future with the Blazers, Damien says, To make it to the NBA, I had to give it everything I had. I was going to do what needed to be done to win games. I didn't come into the league worrying about what others were doing in the organization. I didn't come in with that type of mentality. And that's what he said his whole career. Those are the things he said. Hey, it's their job to put the team together. It's my job to win on the floor. Then he said, but I've been active probably 95% of the games in my career. I've played through injuries, and I've been a part of two rebuilds. I feel like I've experienced everything with the Trailblazers, I've worn that jersey as a badge of honor and with a lot of pride and care. I never felt like my job was to go in and critique what other people were doing in the organization. My job was to make sure the team is functioning and try to lead them to the best results. I've always assumed everyone's mentality was the same. Even when I'm playing well and we come up short at the end of the season, I go home and the first thing I do is look in the mirror and tell myself we didn't win a championship. Or or I didn't play as well as I should have. I've had to look in the mirror and tell myself that my performance was unacceptable and I have to do better. And then you go do better. I think that's what stage we're at as a team, where we all, not just me, not just my teammates, not just our coaching staff, the front office and everybody in this organization must look in the mirror because we've constantly come up short. We have to look in the mirror and say that I have to do better because whatever we're doing is not working and it's not giving us a shot to compete on the level that we want to compete on. There was a separate quote also that Damian said that, hey, I know we have a new coach coming in, and yeah, I believe that Billups can come in and he can make our team different and he can make our team better, but I don't think you can look at our roster and say, even with a new coach, that's a championship roster. Hmm. So, Braden, what, what's your like? What's your first reaction? Like, What are your initial thoughts about all these things going on?
2: I think Portland's lucky to have him just because the NBA, unlike any other sport, Is so volatile and just always changing always moving there's literally not one guy in the NBA maybe other than Damian Lillard that is untouchable like the best player in the league the last 20 years LeBron James has moved teams on a very consistent basis and since he's done that he's set a precedent that literally anybody can move so it makes NBA free agency and the trade deadline a lot of fun don't get me wrong but guys are leaving to build super teams and to shoot for championships and they're not really putting their fan bases or i don't know they're just they're not really thinking about anybody else but themselves and Mm -hmm. lillard i've noticed is a lot different than that and Mm -hmm. he's i mean he's a top five player in the nba and literally anybody would take him and he still is sticking with them so that's what immediately sticks out to me and i think that's also pretty bold of him just to like mention like hey i don't think we're we have a championship roster right now. I think that's kind of telling his front office, like, hey, it's it's time to go out and make a big push, go get somebody big to kind of, like, counteract with me and maybe go make a real push next year.
0: I mean, I do believe that having a different coach in is going to help. Like, I, I think Terry Stotts did a, did a fine job. Like, he, they've made the playoffs eight years in a row. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes – a coach's voice gets stale and old. But I think even more than that, what Stotts proved is that he is specifically incapable of figuring out a player rotation that makes it so his guys aren't gassed at the end of the game. Because virtually every time the Blazers get eliminated from the playoffs over the last few years, they look tired at the end. You know, when they played the Warriors in the Western conference finals a couple of years ago, that was a team that was already without some of their best players and the Blazers had just come off of a really tough series against the Nuggets and then the Blazers I think every single game in that whole series they got off to a huge lead and then they ended up collapsing in the end and then ending up looking tired at the end of every game Hmm. so they have to figure out a way to work the rotation so not so much pressure is on Dame all the time or you know just have him sit a little bit more
2: yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I think the the Suns really showed this year that it's really nice to have two guards that can go get you points whenever you need it, for the most part. Obviously, last night they didn't um, step up when they needed to, but having Booker and Chris Paul um, and being able to just have one of those guys on the court at all times, it's helped them get to where they are. And I feel like McCollum, honestly, isn't that good enough of that second option. I think they may may need to trade him off and get somebody bigger. I don't know who that would be, but if they truly want to go after a title.
0: It is hard because when you try to think like, okay, well and I, I love CJ. Yeah, me too. And I'd love to have him in Portland. But I think you're you're right in saying that he's probably not good enough to be the second best player on a championship level team. Mm-hmm. So but if you're gonna flip him who are you going to bring in? Because finding somebody who compliments Dame is kind of tough. It's
2: weird to think about. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know who. Because that could
0: be. CJ, one of CJ's greatest strengths is, is catch and shoot jump shots, which is perfect for playing with Dame. But CJ's shortcomings also really get blown up because you know Dame is undersized. CJ's undersized, and when they go up against. Um, elite offensive talents dame's not picking up the number one defensive position it's on the perimeter it's usually cj and he gets exposed because he's not a very good defender he doesn't have great floor vision and he's not regarded as a great passer so i I think his skill set both works with dame and also at the same time doesn't work with dame what you really want is is a guy like clay thompson who doesn't need the ball in his hands to be explosive and is a great perimeter defender. Yeah, But there aren't guys like, there's so few guys that are like that in the yeah. league. Like, yeah, you'd love to have clay, but the Warriors aren't trading clay for CJ McCollum. It's just not happening. So mm-hmm. trying to look around the league and figure out what your trade partner is going to be would be tough. Yeah. The one that comes up the most, and i got to admit it's driving me nuts, it's Ben Simmons over and over and over and over again. Yeah. what do you think about how ben simmons if let's say hypothetically speaking the blazers were able to go straight across or maybe they throw in a pick straight across cj's gone simmons is in how do you see that affecting their team
2: um it might help them as crazy as that sounds because another thing that i've noticed i've pretty consistently bashed the nba not to be honest with you um The last couple years just because of the lack of defense Mm -hmm. and it's just hard for me to watch the really the only NBA I watch is in the playoffs and um, and I've enjoyed watching the playoffs a lot this year especially because the two teams that are in the finals play defense and I think that's the reason they're in the finals their their team defense has been really good that you can just see them creating turnovers and turning them into points Uh, a lot of momentum comes from playing good defense and I seriously think that has separated them from the rest of the pack this year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's always been the Blazers' problem because their defense ha-
0: is historically bad.
2: Yeah, I think Lillard has never failed to put up like a lot of points when he needs to. He's usually a guy that can go get them a bucket. But their problem is is that they go right back down the other end and they give up another bucket. And eventually, Lillard just can't do enough. Um, and nobody could do enough with the the defense that they have. So. While Simmons is historically bad on offense, he may be able to bring some kind of boost to their defense, and they can find other pieces that can hit shots. I mean so I don't know
0: yeah, there, there's no doubt that Ben Simmons would improve their defense. I mean, and the Blazers, at least the front office understands the importance of improving that side. I mean, they brought in Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington last year, seemingly to try to fix that problem. It didn't fix the problem. And while all of the Ben Simmons bashing, all I'm, I'm guilty of this myself as well. So Ben Simmons is great at two things. He's great at defense, and he's a unique defensive talent because he's big and he can guard lots of different positions. But on offense, the only thing he's great at is creating shots for other people. Yeah. I mean, he's not even. He's gotten to the point where he's really not even. I don't want to say he's not good at scoring going to the basket because he can do it, but he's so timid oh, and afraid yeah. Oh, yeah. and he doesn't want to get fouled because he can't shoot free throws. Mm-hmm. So I to me, I feel like if you bring Ben Simmons in like that's yeah, that's going to help your defense. No doubt about it. But on the offensive side of the ball, the only thing, the only utility that Ben Simmons has is to be a distributor. And you already have a ball dominant point guard. So I don't know how. It would be really interesting to see how that would all fit together.
2: Like I think it it would make def- make sense defensively, but I don't think it would be the right trade for the Blazers just for that reason. And honestly, that would really help the 76ers out if they could pull that one off because they play team defense rather than – like if they bring in Simmons, yes, you have a, one guy that can go start playing defense for you, but that's mm-hmm. not the problem. You have to have a collective guys on the – collective group of guys on the court that are all in sync playing defense and I think that's what the Suns and Bucks do so well. So, I don't know if one guy can necessarily change that. I think it just has to be the philosophy.
0: Yeah. I think one the one thing that I've realized is like I've I've always been number 1 a fan of the league as a whole rather than any one team in the NBA and I've always really just especially over the last I don't know 10 years or so I've just been a fan of players. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy for me with the player empowerment era because then if a play, if I like a player, I can just root for them at whatever team they play on. But now that my kids have gotten into NBA basketball and we all root for the Blazers, I'm like, I'm sort of emotionally invested in this team. So I love player empowerment until it hit a little too close to home. And I'm like, wait, no, no, Dame, you don't get to decide where you go. Yeah. You need to be here. But I think it's really interesting that even a guy like Dame who has, for his entire career, preached this, hey, Portland's the one who gave me my shot. I'm not going to go join a super team. If other guys want to come play here, that's great, but I'm not going anywhere because I like it here and being here means something to me. Mm-hmm. That he has, and I would encourage anybody, if you want to go to Yahoo and find this article with Chris Haynes um, and Damian Lillard, it, it, the way the thoughtfulness with which Damian Lillard um, articulates his points is really impressive. Um, and I think... He really well articulated the change in his mindset. Like, he's saying, Well, this is the way I've always thought, but I'm starting to think this way. So, I, I would, I mean, it's been pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, I'm just looking at like free agents coming yeah. up this year. You have Chris, There's not much. Chris Paul, Kawhi yeah. Leonard, Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley, and DeMar DeRozan, and then really not much more. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think Kawhi would be, that'd be pretty big for him. Like, He's like the epitome of uh, a defensive it's true. presence, but also can go get you a bucket whenever you need it.
0: I mean, Kawhi would be perfect on any team he Honestly plays feels for, but perfect he, in Portland. But if he if he plays, right? I mean, yes,
2: that's one thing I don't like about Kawhi is that he plays about 50% of their games. Yeah, and
0: it's not – see, I don't even think I don't even think it's really fair to call it load management with him. Like, he's literally, like, just dragging his knee behind him everywhere he goes. Like, he's got serious problems in his legs yeah. that prevent him from being able to do this. And we saw it this year yeah. flare up again where he's out with a knee injury and then his team loses in the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, he's a great player and he'll fit anywhere. He'd be great in Portland. But, I mean, he hasn't opted you know, opt into – the Clippers too, if he wants it. Right. So it'll, I mean, we'll, 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 see what happens and we'll be closely following this Damian Lillard saga because I will be emotionally broken probably if he chooses to leave. And then maybe I'll just go, I don't know, root for whatever team he goes to. I
2: don't know. I think you probably have to expect him to leave. There's very, very, very few guys that have stayed on their one NBA team their whole career. And I don't know if he gets to the point where it's just frustrations are too high. He, it's pretty easy for a guy to just demand a trade and, get out of town
0: yeah that's true
2: the nba has made it way too easy for him
0: i think the question more is like it's almost like the same as the russell wilson question question it's not how it's not will he end his career here it's more like how many more years do you have before he gets fed up and leaves so i think dame has like three more years on his contract does he finish out the contract does he decide that he wants to get out of town before that um I, i don't know but uh
2: I think Lillard leaves before Wilson leaves, and I don't even—I'm not even convinced that Wilson will leave. I don't know. I—I I think this whole offseason got completely blown up, and I think the last time I actually was on this podcast, I was just saying this is completely being blown out of proportion. I think Lillard will leave at some point.
0: Yeah, you think Lillard will leave at some point within the next couple of years?
2: Um, in the next five years, I think. He in the leaves. next five
0: years, yeah, I think I'd agree with that, unless
2: unless they bring somebody in and win a championship. Exactly,
0: which, you know, probably unlikely. But, hey, we can hope. Yeah. Um, moving on to a topic that's a little less fun to talk about. Um, a Seahawks great had a little bit of trouble um, earlier this week. And, I, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the, the issue of Richard Sherman's arrest, but I also am interested to talk about the way that it was covered because yeah. Yeah. it – made me feel yucky. It was uncomfortable, a lot of it. Yeah. So um for starters, uh Richard Sherman had a he's he's being charged with, I believe, is it five misdemeanors, Andrew? Is that what we that's, landed on? That's what I saw, yeah. So there were no felony charges, but five misdemeanor charges. Um essentially he got really, really drunk. The report was that he drank a bottle of Hennessy and a bottle of vodka, I think is what it was. Then he Drove his car into a cement barrier um, and then managed to get it from the cement barrier onto what was uh, an active construction site. Luckily, nobody was hurt. Then he abandoned the vehicle. And um, this was after having an altercation with his wife and her uncle where nobody was injured. But the reports were that he was was, threatening to kill himself. Yeah, that
1: was before he drove in the car. Yeah. He was... yeah, and she called nine one one. She yeah. called nine one one. The whole
0: world's heard that yeah. call. Yeah. So yeah, that that started with. And he drove, and then from there he walked to his in laws, his his parents in law, his father in law, and his mother in law's house, and was apparently forcefully trying to enter the premises. And there which were,
2: we've seen. I'm. I don't know if you've seen the video, but there's also video of him trying to break that door down. I
0: haven't seen the video because I felt so. Just for me. Uh, on the day that it happened, I was like... "It." it the report comes out in the morning, you know? Yep. And as it's going on, I'm like, I need more information. I need to know what's going on. So I found out somehow that Dory Monson had... And Cairo News Radio had gotten this... They, ha- they had reported it really thoroughly, and they had gotten a hold of this 911 call. So for the first time ever... And I think Dory Monson's a clown. I'm not... I don't like him. Hmm. But anyway, he had the 911 call of of Richard Sherman's wife and I really didn't want to hear all of it. I just wanted to know what happened. Yeah. But to their credit, even though that type of reporting it felt inappropriate, it was a little gross, but I I downloaded it. I went I went to his podcast because I knew they had that information. Yeah. So, I think uh that 4-minute 911 call which has a lot of really uncomfortable stuff in it. was was difficult to listen to, and I guess I'm curious, Brayden how how did you experience that day? Like, how did the reporting hit you? Where did you find that the different information?
2: Yeah, I just thought it was interesting that I saw just a lot of posts on like Twitter and Instagram, and um, I was like, yeah, this is this doesn't seem like Richard. And then I would go in the comments, and I it was kind of weird for me to see. <clears throat> everybody was agreed with me like this can't be right like this is Richard Sherman like as much of a clown he can be on the on the field off the field he's a great guy and off the field he's a family guy that like is pretty good for his community like this this isn't Richard like come on why are you posting this and then more and more stuff comes out and I don't know it's just kind of the world we live in these days that everything is put out for everybody to see if you have a big a big enough name and if something's going to get clicks like you mentioned people are going to put it out there and that's it's pretty unethical but it's just kind of the world we live in and it's it's too bad to see and I think it probably affected us more just because we are Seahawks fans we're Richard fans and he gave us so much so it probably affected the Pacific Northwest a little bit more than it did other people but it was pretty it was pretty weird to see all that stuff just come out for the world to see.
0: It also leads to people, you know, you see another side of people sometimes, whether you're on social media or whatever. Like, for example, I don't want to sit here and just pick on Dory Monson, but he opened his show by making a joke about Richard Sherman's mental health, which was in really bad taste. And by the end of his show, he had kind of changed his tune a little bit, like being a little more empathetic. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, obviously there's something going on there with Sherman that... I don't I don't know if everybody felt the same way I did. Like, Dory Monson was looking at him, and I heard other people echo the sentiment like, oh, how shocking that this guy has mental health issues. You see the way he he behaved his whole career. I never felt that way. I felt like that was a guy who was intelligent and in control and had very carefully cultivated his public image. I never felt like Richard Sherman was a guy who was out of control.
2: Yeah, I mean... I'm pretty much in the same wavelength as you. Like, it seemed like he carried himself in a very well mannered way mm-hmm. off the field, and his interviews would always be like really good stuff. Um, I guess I could kind of see it. I guess you know that argument that he did—he was a little psycho out on the field sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, it can happen to anybody, and um, I don't know. It, it was just unexpected to me, and I'm sure. I personally like Dory Monson but I don't like what he did uh, the way you mentioned that that's kind of messed up mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day pretty much everybody was doing it and they're just trying to get their clicks and they're trying to get their their lines out there to make some money out of it because um, that's just what their goal is which is too bad. That's yeah. why there needs to be more people going into that industry that are trying to be more positive and shed a more positive light on that situations. I,
0: I think it just begs the question like how you draw the line between what's responsible journalism and what's just trying to get attention because mm-hmm. that most of that stuff was it was personal like it felt voyeuristic like it was it was a glimpse into that situation that we didn't really need and it, it could and probably did have a negative impact on the people that were involved the way that it was reported. Oh, yeah. So I I understand that a lot of that information is public. Um, In that scenario, I feel like the the journalism media, like news radio, news television, those people need to hold themselves to a higher standard of what information needs to be out there. Um, Andrew, how did this whole, how did the Richard Sherman stuff hit you? Uh,
1: well, it was my (laughs) my first thought was. Oh, geez, if Sh- Richard Sherman turns out to be a complete, you know, jackass, Cam Chancellor's the only original <laughs> member of the Legion of Boom that's not like a complete jackass or in prison. Yeah. And uh, well, and in prison. <laughs> I So that was my first thought was like, oh my gosh, another like one of the like another one of the Legion of Boom or are. are like a jackass that's terrible like
0: yeah
1: i want to be able to remember these people fondly and they keep on and then as more and more stuff came out it it just it just makes me sad and and hope like my hope is that it can be it can bring the whole situation can bring more attention to to the mental health side of the thing and that isn't nothing takes away from the the bad things that he did but it's important to remember that when people are are experiencing mental issues whether it's depression which the vast majority of people experience at some point in their lives to some degree, or whether it's, you know, something far more serious. The, the very fact that you're like, there's, there's a mental health issue. It means that you're not, you're not making decisions with the, like you're not making decisions based on reality. Mm -hmm. Your, your perception of reality is skewed and and so it doesn't make it it doesn't make it okay that you do bad things and you should still like he he should be held accountable for the you know for driving while intoxicated that's that's a problem but deeper than that I I just I really hope that that he can get the help and and get like his head right and also might like longer term he has he has a lot of influence within the NFL. He's a, he is a a co-chair, I believe. I think he's of, the vice president. Vice of the president Players of the Players Association. Yeah. Um, and I I really hope that through this whole thing, there can be more light shed on on how mental mental health is approached by just the people. I think we've seen some. We've seen some of that with the way Dak Prescott was open about his struggles mm-hmm. after his brother died. Um, and I just, I hope that there can be more of that because ultimately coming to that realization that I'm not perceiving reality right and I need I need help is, that's so difficult to, to come to that first realization that, that maybe everything isn't as bad as it feels or maybe maybe this isn't as big of a deal as it feels like it is. Um, That, that is such a, I'm I'm rambling, but I just felt like that was such a, I was, it made me really sad. And I, I agree with you guys that the coverage was icky, but I, I feel like that's just what I expect from social media now, because everything is just instant reactions. And and because because he was related to the people who lived in the house that he was trying to get into that automatically makes it a uh domestic violence that automatically adds domestic violence as part of the charges so initially that was what was like the first it
0: was domestic violence burglary or yeah
1: something. that was and that was the first headline that i saw and i was like and that's why my first response was like, "Oh my gosh! Like, he's beating somebody.
2: Maybe he has a gun. Yeah. Like, like,
1: like there's you know like how how can all of the <laughs> Legion of Boom be so terrible? Yeah. Um, but then as more came out, it, it was it like there's so much more. It, clearly, it's it's a terrible situation for everybody involved, and." Um, the reporting definitely didn't help any of that.
0: Well, and I think the important distinction that you made there was it's it's never like all of this is never to excuse the behavior, it's to understand the behavior. Like he yeah. has to be held accountable for what he did because I mean, they're lucky nobody was hurt, but yes. he was driving He a could car have killed someone. As drunk as a skunk, somebody could have died yeah. at, because of that. So he definitely has to be held accountable for what he did. But unless we take the step of trying to understand how he got to that point, we can't prevent those kind of situations yeah. from happening again. So it's not to excuse the behavior. It's to understand the behavior.
1: And, and to prevent it in the future. And to prevent it in yep. the
0: future. Exactly. I just know that when I, when I was listening to that podcast and the 911 call was going on, I just felt like I shouldn't be hearing this. I felt like this is a really private thing that has nothing to do with me. It it was just really uncomfortable.
1: And for the like, I just looked this up because I was curious in Washington state uh, under the public under the state public records act. uh, Records of 911 calls are open to the public for a fee with personal identifying information removed. So it, it isn't like it was leaked or something like that. Presumably. Somebody has the accent like they knew when it would have happened, and they. Yeah, but the they personal the,
0: information wasn't removed from it. There were names. Were,
1: were they saying the names yeah, in yeah. the? She
0: not only did her, his wife identify herself, but she said it's Richard Sherman.
1: Oh, interesting. So I think so, they so did get
0: some kind of a leaked so version. In, okay.
1: Never mind then.
0: Yeah. I didn't. And also, I, they presented be, it as an full, exclusive.
1: Full disclosure: I listened to the first ten seconds of that call yeah. and. Was like I don't want to listen to it. like I was yeah. I just did not there was nothing I could gain from listening to it except for apparently uh, knowing that they were using personally identifiable inf- information that should have been removed from it.
0: Yeah. Well, and the other part of this, and this is something that you know, Braden, you might have a good insight on this as well, since you follow NFL free agency and and stuff as closely as anyone I know. Um, he was this is inconvenient timing, like he was trying to get a job and then the thought the prevailing thought was if he can't get himself onto an nfl roster for this season that hey he's got his pick of probably 20 different media jobs that he could have if he wanted so yeah what do you think do you think there's a chance that he can redeem himself and and going forward he can do some of these things that he wanted to do
2: yeah um media wise that 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 does it's probably gonna hurt him a little bit mm-hmm. um i don't know why this was like one of the first things that came to my head was like okay yeah this is a guy that's living in seattle there's has been rumors of him going back to seattle um to help out their secondary be a leader on their team this year and honestly one of the first things i thought of was this is kind of what the seahawks like to do here they like to find a guy that kind of messed up and go out and get him for a much cheaper price than you would have initially and it may pan out for you they did it with michael bennett they did it with frank clark they've done it with a lot of guys and um now sherman's pretty much going to be begging for a job um whether it may be at the league minimum at this point right so i don't know the seahawks have done this in the past where they go out and get guys that have messed up very recently and um can turn it into some good
0: that was definitely something i hadn't considered i mean i i feel like there there's a few different paths that he can choose here like he might just say Hey, I need to figure my stuff out. Yeah, you know, it's not... also
1: likely that he'll face some form of of punishment from the league, right? I think
0: right. I was hearing that it would likely probably, probably be a two game suspension. Yeah, okay. So I don't think anybody like really knows, but that was just what someone was speculating in a report. Um, but yeah, I think uh, like you were saying, it might hurt him on the media jobs. I I do believe that he can redeem himself to a point, yeah. but like his. his potential in media was through the roof i mean if he really wanted it and went for it he could be the next stephen a smith like making eight million dollars a year or whatever he does to be a gas bag on espn yeah i i think he could have had so many choices and it's going to be hard because like i said that what i viewed his public image as was like over the top but in control intelligent and a leader, and he he had really, I feel like, it felt like he had just meticulously cultivated this public image, and I think no matter what he does at this point, that's gone. Like, the the idea that he's just constantly in control is gone now, because yeah, he's is. just going to be viewed as a guy who's who could go off the rails at any moment.
2: Yeah, and I think it's just the media's fault for it, and somehow there needs to be some kind of check um in the media's part, because there's there was no reason that that they could bring that to the whole to the globe global stage to where everybody can see literally everything that happened, and pretty much everybody knows exactly what happened that night mm-hmm. from his first drink to being arrested. We pretty much know exactly what happened. We can all picture it in our heads, and we shouldn't be able to do that. And I think five misdemeanor charges should have been enough for him. That should have been like, okay, I need to get things straight. I messed up. That should have been a very private thing. But now those sh- those aren't going to mean anything to him. His public image is completely diminished. So true. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing yeah. that's going to affect him in the future.
0: Absolutely. The biggest punishment out of all this for Richard Sherman is not going to be anything that he's sentenced. It's going to be the hit that he's suffered in the public eye. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add to this, Andrew, before we move on?
1: Um. Not really.
0: <laughs> okay well we are going to come back with in the mailbag segment we're going to talk a little bit of NBA stuff so Andrew will take a nap while Braden and I discuss you know, big picture Another NBA nap. legacy things but first let's take a quick commercial break the team of realtors at Pen Real Estate wish you and your family good health during this stay home stay safe time their team has health and safety measures in place to protect you and everyone involved in the process if you're thinking about selling your home now is a great time there are more buyers than available homes. Many homes are still receiving multiple offers and are selling for above asking price. OliPen Real Estate will help you put the most money possible in your pocket in less time without the hassle. Visit SellMyHarborHome.com to get your home market ready. The OliPen team is ready to work for you. And welcome back. Thanks for joining us on the scrimmage. It's me, Justin Damushevitz, with my special guest co-host Braden Dorman and our producer, the best producer in the podcast business, Andrew <laughs> Groves. You know we we keep like we keep saying that. Do at some point do we need to go back and um like re- I don't know write. why we would do that. Okay, let's not. We're gonna just keep trucking along with it. Um, but we're gonna talk about something that I find really interesting that Andrew will find really boring, and hopefully, Braden, you find a little bit of interest in this. But in in the NBA, specifically when it comes to finals and championships, the conversations are always about legacy. So, in a way, it's kind of counterproductive because it I believe that all of the legacy talk and all of the emphasis on finals victories kind of led to this super team era where a lot of players are realizing, hey, I can go create my own championships instead of doing it the way guys did in the past. But that's, I feel... <coughs> A lot of that is because of the media saying, well, you're not good enough if you didn't win X amount of championships. You can't be the greatest because the be all end all is rings. Like you can say, I put up all the best stats, I had all this success, this is what I did this is what I was working with, and it doesn't matter because Michael Jordan has six rings. So to me, the legacy talk is really interesting, and I'm not a ring counter, but of the players that are in this finals, who do you think, who Braden, who do you think stands to gain the most? from a finals win as far as legacy goes?
2: I mean, it's probably going to be Chris Paul just because he has had such a good career that we can all respect other than the people that say, oh, he has no rings, as you were mentioning. But, you know, I don't think he necessarily went to Phoenix and had that whole super team mentality. I think there's a team of young guys that were just looking for a leader, and I think he was the perfect guy to come in there and do that. So I think this will cement his legacy as one of the best – leaders in um, basketball and a guy that consistently won and you know hopefully eventually gets that ring but it's gonna be tough now now that they're down three two mm-hmm. um, I think Booker has plenty of potential I think he's gonna be winning rings in the future he's just one of the most raw guys in the NBA just as far as his jump shot as far as everything he does is just basketball like this guy's basketball mm-hmm. um, and he's just young and I think honest. Pretty dang, pretty dang good. He's going to have his fair share of rings, and it may start with this one right here. Um, so I'd say Chris Paul above those guys just because he's just later on in his career. Right,
0: so you're saying that because those other guys will still have lots more chances, it's, it's Chris Paul now. Yeah. Which totally makes sense, especially because, like, you, you think about the way that people view Chris Paul. And, I mean, shoot, Chris Paul's been playing probably since you were in diapers. Like, he's been around a really long time. And he... Uh, He, I think most people discuss him in the top five point guards of all time conversation. Top five, top ten, somewhere in that range. And I think that's fair. But the criticism has always been he can never win a ring. And it really actually, most of the time, it hasn't been anything to do with his play. He gets hurt in the playoffs. He he gets hurt at the end of seasons and he misses end of playoff runs. But it got to a point with Chris Paul when he was in Houston where it was like, People thought his career was over. He was a joke. Like, James Harden didn't want him anymore. He could... He was... His stats were in the tank. So they end up trading him to Oklahoma City. And the one... Since he left Houston, the one thing that's been consistently true over those last two... His last two landing spots is that when he goes into a team, he makes them better. Oh, yeah. He went into Oklahoma City and they tremendously overachieved.
2: They were supposed to be, like, the worst
0: team in the West. Exactly. And nobody had the Suns being in the finals this year. Like, this... If you were to go back to the beginning of the year... Yeah, you know, in the bubble, they were 8-0, you know? But, like This is a team with a lot of promise, but nobody had the Suns going to the finals.
2: I'm going to the conference finals. I was, really? I was like, these guys looked so good in the bubble. They play just really good. They just work hard. Yeah. But I didn't expect this. Yeah. So, yeah. And I was did. like, probably stretching a little bit. I'm like, yeah, hey, I think they might be able to make conference finals.
0: Do you think if the Suns were able to come back and win? See, I think for the legacy thing to be true for Chris Paul, he did have great moments he has he had that really great game yeah. in the conference finals that w- was the game sealer. It was this, I think it was the game that won. Yeah, them. A
2: really good fourth quarter against the Clippers. Right? He
0: scored like forty one points in one game and hit the game winner and all this stuff. But he's actually played pretty poorly I in agree. the last few games in I the agree. finals. He's turning the ball over a lot and he's and he's injured. He's got like three different injuries that he's playing through right now. So I feel like if he continues to play poorly and somehow the Suns are able to pull it off. It's going to be tougher. People are going to look at it and be like, well, yeah, he did win the ring, but Devin Booker dragged his broken and dying corpse across the finish line. That's a good point.
2: Yeah. I, he had, I've been watching and I've been like, what are you doing right yeah. now? Like, Do what you've been doing all year, and that's facilitating this offense, taking shots when you need to, but at the end of the day, putting Devin Booker in the best possible position at all times because – where Booker goes the sun goes yeah. the sun's go.
0: And I think Booker is like I love watching Devin Booker play. Like first of all the dude's a walking bucket. Like he yeah. just he just gets buckets. Like yes. you said, he is basketball. He's yeah. a baller. Yeah. He is an absolute magician in the mid-range. Mm-hmm. He can no matter what the scenario is, he'll go find a mid-range shot and yeah. he knocks him down. It's like a layup to him. Mm-hmm. So the, about I really enjoy watching that. To me, I think the guy who needs this for his legacy it's probably Giannis because, like, you're right that he's got a lot of career ahead of him and he's got a lot of chances. There's been a lot of guys who, you know, thought they'd get 10 more chances and then and then they never get there. Sure. Um, the Bucks were able to construct a team that, although it was less successful in the regular season, they've actually been more successful in the postseason than they have the previous years. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, the one thing that would be a strike against Giannis is people are going to look at this and go, and this is true on both sides. Like, all of this has been about attrition. It's all been about injuries. So they're going to look at that Brooklyn series and be like, well, I mean, if James Harden hadn't got hurt, if Kyrie was healthy, if Kevin Durant was healthy, then it looked like Brooklyn after the first two games was going to roll them in that yeah, series. And then did. because of injuries the Bucks end up coming back. So that would be the potential thing. But then how far back do people remember? Like, if, if it's five years from now, are people going to be like, well, yeah, Giannis won that title, but in the semifinal round of the conference playoffs, Right.
2: they, they, they probably won't. Nobody does. Nobody remembers, like, those other rounds. They, yeah. they remember the finals, and it's very rare that they remember something, unless some crazy 3-1 lead is blown or something.
0: Yeah. So let's assume now that it is 3-2 and I mean anything can happen but the Bucks are playing really well right now. Yeah. Let's assume the Bucks win. How do you think it changes the way Giannis is viewed?
2: I think it actually gives him um a lot more respect uh just NBA wide fans. Just cuz I personally have always thought he's just one like not very multidimensional. He's just mm-hmm. kind of a guy that just goes running at the hoop and just gets fouled and he'll get his a couple free throws a game and then he'll get his lanes he'll get his dunks and then he plays fairly good defense and he's he has two mvps now i believe and i was just always like i don't know i don't know if he's the best player in the league right now but if he goes out and gets a, a title that makes me think differently about him and he's made some really really good plays um in the last two games to you know give them these wins and i he's on i've he's gained my respect a little bit more than I expected him to. And I've been rooting for the Suns myself. Just I've been down in Phoenix last year. It's been kind of cool to see this uh, wave of the NBA kind of coming through the valley and just this unpredictable um, Suns run. So I've been rooting for them, but it's been hard to not just watch Giannis and just kind of be awestruck like the stuff he's been doing.
0: Agreed. I mean, I could have this conversation all day. Um, Andrew has added something to the show sheet. He wants to talk. He wants me to talk about the quote football thing. Oh, is that right, Andrew?
1: (laughs) You you had you were in attendance at a uh, football. Is it was it a jamboree? I was not there.
0: Style. It's the Tumwater scrimmages. I'm sure, Braden. You you probably played in these um, during summer ball in the past. Have you played in that kind of thing?
2: Well, I usually went to Central Washington University for camp. That's what we did for the high school. But this year it didn't happen, so I heard they yeah. went to Tumwater. and and um, they're doing another. They're right.
0: doing other scrimmages in Tenino um, this week. Yeah. But it, for me, it was cool because it, like not only did I get to go watch my son play, and he's playing on the JV um, Monty team, but I got to watch Monty varsity a little bit. I got to see Aberdeen varsity, and I got to see Hoquiam varsity. Yeah, and just to kind of watch all these teams play, um, impressions are this is going to be a rough year for Hoquiam. Yes. Um, I want to say well,
2: I think it's gonna be a rough five years for Hokum. Yeah, I'll be honest, and I, I I'm not saying that because I'm anti Hokum or anything. It's just they're not getting the numbers out there right now. Like they're from what I've heard, not many guys are playing right now, and they just lost in the last couple of years. They've lost their guys and. Other guys have not really come up to fill that void.
0: It's really tough to see because that Hoke and Montesano rivalry had just become so fun. Like mm-hmm. across, I mean, football especially, but across all sports, it had become just a super fun rivalry. And I think the Monte Elma is starting to reemerge in some of these as the Eagles are getting better in some sports and Hoquiam's starting to fade. Mm -hmm. But I believe, and this was Jamboree style, so just so people can have an image of what it was like. You got games going on on both sides of the field, and the teams aren't playing a traditional style. They're like, they're offense for 10 plays, and then you switch to defense for 10 plays, and then after that they switched again and there was a time limit. So you get as many plays as you can, but it's not like, it doesn't switch every possession or anything. You just play offense and then you play defense. So it's not traditional scoring. There was no kicks, no extra points or anything. But I believe when Hoquiam played against Monaseno in this little half-hour, 40-minute game or whatever it was, Monaseno scored eight touchdowns and Hoquiam scored zero. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed also watching Aberdeen play. Um, they did their, their junior tailback, who's going to be, I would imagine... If not their primary runner, one of their primary runners, Jeremy Sawyer, um, he suffered an ankle injury. So hoping he can, you know, heal up and be ready before the season starts because it's still summer, so he's got time. But watching the Bobcat offense, I feel like, aside from like a few little offensive line miscues. Their their misdirection is great. Like, I love the way that they sequence their plays, and one play sets up another, and you, there's times where you have to figure out who has the ball, and make quick decisions. Are they running, like, decisions. a wing tee of some sort? Yeah, or? I want to say it's a... Du- is it a double wing, Andrew? I don't know. It's... Also, I, I couldn't I tell you if even. I did know. Yeah, I think it's... I think it's a... Well, I don't want to... I should, I should know this. I think it's a double wing. Okay. Um, But it's not... I believe not, so the same kind of traditional double wing that you see where like often teams just line up like they're in a phone booth and just cram the ball up the middle it's a lot of inside runs setting up outside runs and guys running both directions and you have to figure out which one has the ball yeah. and they were actually um starting to mix in a lot of pass plays as the, well
1: the 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 ideal like goal of the offense is that on every snap the linebackers don't know who has the ball until the person with the ball is already well on their way to where they want to go to
0: you know and it was fun to watch um you know jeremy sawyer score a few touchdowns and look really explosive um unfortunate to see him go down but i think just you got teams around here that are on different trends like monty's just kind of been on the top level, just kind of cruising. Like, they seem to not get much better or worse um, from year to year. You'll have certain great, certain age groups where, yeah, you think, like, hey, this is a state championship caliber team, but they're always good. Yeah.
1: And then other age groups where you're like, this is a rebuilding year, and then they win the state championship.
0: <laughs> and then you have Hoquiam, who has been really competitive, you know, bordering on like state title. level yeah. title yeah. team, and now they are trending downward for whatever reason I don't know. Um, Elma's football program over the last several years is definitely on an upward swing oh, yeah. and looking a lot better. And, and Aberdeen, I think impressively, you know, and maybe predictably, because this the group that is sophomores and juniors now for Aberdeen was just absolutely beastly coming through youth football and junior high you know, undefeated, not allowing touchdowns. Like, those age groups have been really good. So now that those kids are starting to get into the starting lineup and starting to be fully formed athletes, um, I think you're going to see a lot of success for Aberdeen as well.
2: Yeah, there's a—I don't know if you've heard of Ryland Spencer. Um, He's one of the top high school school football guys in Washington. He travels around, watches as much football as he can, Mm -hmm. Um, always predicting games and stuff like that. So he was there this weekend, and he said— just a few notes, a few observations. Tumwater is still Tumwater. They'll be very tough, which we already know that. <laughs> yeah. um, but one he said, I love what Todd Bridge has done at Aberdeen, took over in 2019, and has completely changed his program. Um, so he obviously thinks Aberdeen's on the upward swing. Mm-hmm. He also said Montesano has some really, he said really and capitalized, capitalized, um, yeah, whatever, and nice <laughs> pieces. I was especially impressed with 2022 Isaiah Pierce, top end speed on every play, seeks contact. The team's going to run through Isaiah this year, so I, I agree with that. And he also said Rochester um, looks good. They have a really good athlete in tailing bets. Um, he said, I, I swear, he plays every position on the field other than the line.
0: Those are great <laughs> notes. I, I think for Montesano, uh, Isaiah Pierce, we could probably expect 25 touches a game. I mean, that kid is needs ex- to, yeah. explosive and strong. Uh, he was walking around on the I mean, he lifts, like you can tell. But like, Him and his he, brother... He's are walking around. Insane in the weight room. Yeah. He's walking around on the sideline with, like, you know how guys will tuck their basketball shorts up in underneath their, uh, you know, whatever, so their their thighs are showing? His thighs are freaking massive. It's yeah. insane. I mean, he's so strong. It shows how explosive he is. He had a hit on defense in this game that was just unreal in one of the games. Um, the big question mark for Montesano is going to be um, since they've had to. Make an adjustment on who plays quarterback yes. because
2: I was going to ask you how that went. How do you replace Gardner Minshew? So, so <laughs> Gardner the third.
0: Isaiah Pierce's twin brother Isaac had a knee injury mm-hmm. and will be missing the football season. And it was Is presumed that, for sure
2: that he's going to be out.
0: I believe so. Yeah. Um. Everyone's been talking like he's out, but I haven't. It's not. I haven't heard that from like a coach or a trainer or anything. It's more just like the parents that of all the players seem to think that he's not playing. Um. So. He was the presumed quarterback, and he was—he's super athletic and strong and good. Yes. And now you probably have somebody who's being thrust into a position a, a little bit before they were planned. But Jaden McElravy um, looked really solid on Saturday. I wasn't there on Friday. Um, I, I heard that there was, you know, a few little miscues like I think can be expected when somebody's sophomore. Still, yeah, sophomore. Uh, well, he's—he will be a junior. He'll be a junior this year.
2: Okay, yeah, I didn't even think about
0: that. Yeah, yeah, he will yeah we're in the summer, so yeah, he was a sophomore. He'll be a no, junior. he'll be a junior. But, um, but Jaden, I thought he he was planting, throwing confidently. He was really throwing darts. I thought he looked really good. Um, he looked elusive in some situations as well. I I I feel I felt like watching Jaden. He was better than I expected, which I think is a really encouraging sign. That's yeah. And that's you amazing. also have a couple of kids in, there's a position battle for quarterback in the sophomore class as well. So you're going to have a couple of different kids that are getting ready behind Jaden to be the next quarterback after that. So um, I, I feel that's going to be the big question mark offensively is, you know, is McElravy ready? I would say based on what I saw, he's definitely making steps towards ready. So see awesome. something that Monty fans should feel good about.
2: That's good. That's good to hear. Because, yeah. I mean, this was going to be the Isaac and Isaiah year. Yeah. And it, it sucks to see that Isaac's going to be out. I hope somehow he can make it back. Not anything against Jaden, but to have Isaac somewhere on the field yeah. is big. And maybe if he came back and Jaden was still a quarterback and Isaac was just at the Z-back or something. But um, it does. That's a big hit to not have Isaac on offense and defense. Sure. But – um Again, it's good to see that Isaiah is kind of coming right back where he left off last year, and hopefully he can just pick it up and just carry the load.
0: Well, man, this hour has flown by. I can't believe that the show is already over, but we are going to put a pin in the balloon of this episode. So for my special guest co-host, Braden, I've been bashing the NBA for years, Dorman. <laughs> and my producer, Andrew, two-naps-gross... Two NBA naps. Two NBA naps, gross. And uh, I'm Justin. Did you say LeBron? Domashevitz? And you've been listening to this scrimmage. Thanks for sticking with us. Mariana
1: Rivera is overrated.
0: We miss Daniel. Mariana Rivera stinks. (laughs) Sideswipe. Yeah, I'm I'm getting emotional, not going to (laughs) lie.